Hello, my name is Chris White and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to bring you the first of two shows for the month in May 2002. Joining me for part one and helping me cover the UK specific pay-per-view insurrection and uh, some of the behind the scenes fallout we might have to discuss after the show. Uh, we have the ECW original hardcore legend himself, Chris Lacey. How are we doing, sir? Wonderful. Yeah, my boys in the country have to be here for it. I mean, yeah, RVD in in London. Like, uh, I'm hoping uh, you made the the trip across, and uh, you, you you made the trip for this one. If only I would have, you know, at the time ta- of done it at the time. It's one of those of because I was I was full fandom boy at this point, and <laughs> I just never went to any of the shows until much later um it wasn't until the cena uh hbk hour match that was on raw that was the first time i actually went to a fed show which was what oh it was after wrestlemania 25 or 23 so five six years later after this yeah yeah yeah. i I didn't go in my full fandom when i really should have done yeah, you went when everything was slightly worse, although not worse than than this, I suppose. Um, yeah, I I did I did make the trip for this one, much like uh, Rebellion last year. I was I was there in attendance for this one, but I don't have any uh, fond well, no, not to say I don't have any fond memories, but I don't have any specific stories or or memories that I take away with this one. Like I I always remember Rock and Austin from Rebellion, and I can vividly remember that entire match like in my head, even though it was like in my head that's like peak Rock Austin, but it wasn't. It was house show Rock Austin, you know. Yeah. Um, but for the, from this one, like if you'd have asked me to like pick the card out, I, I I don't know, I'd have struggled to do it from from memory alone, but um. I don't know if that speaks volumes about the quality of the show we're about to review. <laughs> so let's go way back and uh, smash it as if we were were there that night. Oh yeah, you were. So here in May uh, 2002, I guess we should touch on the fact that the show we're about to review, um, we're we're a couple of weeks past it. And um, this is the last ever televised event to run under the WWF name. Quite quite drastic news. Um, As as Eric will take you through on the main show, um, due to a lawsuit by the uh, World World Wildlife Fund over the WWF initials, the company, the wrestling company that is, changed its name, and uh, this was in effect as soon as the 6th of May episode of Raw, this uh, insurrection pay-per-view, took place on the 4th, um, and they adopted the new World Wrestling Entertainment moniker. Uh, Lacey, we won't go into too many of the details here, it will all be in the, I'm, I'm sure, massive news section of, of the main show, um, but I suppose it's only right that we just tackle up the, our initial thoughts on the wwe name i'm still calling it a fed it'll always be the fed to me um i suppose it it gets one of the the words that vince likes to use entertainment into it i'm surprised he didn't use this as a reason to drop the word wrestling 
That I've got so, that exact World line. Sports Entertainment. Yeah. World Sports Federation or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah, completely change the game. Um yeah, I mean I, I'm sure it's one of those things we'll get used to in time. Uh I think any wrestling fan who grew up watching the WWF at any point in its history up until May two thousand two will surely colloquially slip just the federation name in there um but yeah it's certainly a new era for the company i suppose and some something i i i guess the more sort of law-minded people may have seen this coming one day but uh to me just the average wrestling fan no no idea that this day would ever come like the, the wwf name is gone uh, for all intents and purposes quite significant yeah. Yeah, it's one of those damned and bloody pandas. <laughs> so uh, I guess uh, we're here to review Insurrection, and it's only right that we kick things off by going through the results of the show, if you've got those to hand. Two seconds. I have it on the other thing because I didn't write them down. Um, RBD beats Eddie Guerrero um, via disqualification. Uh, Jazz, Jazz and Molly... Beat Trish and Jackie. Uh, X Puck beats Bradshaw. Booker T and Stevie Ray have a hardcore title match where Booker technically wins, but Stevie ends up leaving the evening with the hardcore title. The Hardys beat Brock and Meat. Spike beats Regal. Austin beats The Big Show. And in our main event, Triple H beats The Undertaker. Brilliant. Um, what did you make of this show? This is the very quintessential. This would be great to be there with a few beers in you and enjoying the atmosphere. It isn't a t- good TV show. It does not make. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know. It's it's a weird one. I, I think it was a pretty poor show. Um but I think if we were grading this like at any other pay-per-view, there's also like, not, there's not too much like terrible on here. It's not really bad. Um, and I, I think over the last five years or so, going back even further than that, you'll be hard pressed to find many pay-per-views without something like terrible on it. Uh, it doesn't mean all of it's good. It's just not offensively shit. Um, I, I think it's just that essentially another glorified house show of a UK pay-per-view Nothing that happens here is any bearing on the TV that follows for the rest of the month, which is why it gets its separate show here. And I don't know, the the crowd had a very nice time, like, I I guess. And everyone went home happy, I suppose. So you kind of at this stage in the game, we all know what these UK shows are. And I don't think anyone could complain with terms of like what they put on, considering the card and the roster available to them for the show. Yeah, this is is the first one brand only show, really, and it? it's it's a raw only show with the only exception being that Trips is here, who's on SmackDown but has been on Raw most month weeks anyway because he's feuding with with Booger Red. Um, but yeah, it's our first ever raw only show in the last ever WWF show. And. For one thing, like 
I, I suppose we have to be fair to this show and kind of review it for what it is a UK glorified house show but like it does kind of show up the lack of depth the rosters have when you split in half um, as we've discussed over the last couple of months so uh, we kick things off with the uh, intercontinental title uh, with Eddie Guerrero taking on uh, Rob Van Dam. Eddie recaptured the title from RVD at Backlash uh, using the belt to do so and RVD's not been too happy about it uh, they tread control to start and the fans are way behind RVD. This pretty much follows the same formula as their previous match with Van Damme trying his kicks and, and using his agility and quickness to stay on top. Eddie being crafty and sort of meticulously dismantling him. Eddie takes over with a vicious sunset flip bomb. Uh, he focuses on Van Damme's leg. Uh, good psychology. Every time Van Damme starts to come back, Eddie's there drop kicking his legs out from under him. He gets a side lead lock, but RVD won't give up. Van Damme hits a thrust kick out of nowhere and makes his comeback. He goes for a five-star frog splash, but misses. Eddie rolls to the floor, grabs a title belt. The ref tries to stop him, so Eddie shoves the ref down for the cheap DQ after about 11 minutes. Afterwards, RVD beats him up and uh, hits the five-star to make the fans smile. What do you make of that for an opener? See, this, I obviously come into a UK show and I knew that RVD wasn't going to win the, win the title. Titles don't change hands on UK shows. But it was fast-paced. It was good energy. It was like, yeah, I'm up for this. You know, yes, you know, you know the result going into it, but they're still putting on a show. And, you know, that typical house showy thing of the baby face gets to shine even after the, after the match. So, you know, doesn't go down on a downer. And that twisting five star that he does i've i've seen him hit some distances and some weird turns in doing five stars during the ecw run but that one that was pre yeah i, I don't know I, maybe i ex- expected a bit more and that's my own fault i thought it was solid but i it's a uk show so it doesn't matter i suppose i have to caveat pretty much all of my opinions with that for this but if you're going to have an opener just don't have a DQ finish in the opener just change the map order around but then I look at the rest of the card and I'm I'm not sure what they could have put here that would have been a hotter opener you know you don't want to put Austin on to open the show um, because it leaves the card too light later but I I don't know I I think the finish was just so flat uh, for obvious reasons like you say you're never going to get a title change on this show um for, for that belt at least um but throughout i think the it got the crowd going but it's one of those where i think the crowd gets themselves going to a degree for these uk shows because they were having a great time uh, the second match of the evening is that women's tag uh trish and jackie versus molly holly and jazz uh the heels attack at the bell and throw trish outside jackie pays the fa- plays the face in peril for a while until trish eventually trades places with her and assumes that role uh they work in a false false pin spot where the ref is uh, distracted with jackie and doesn't see trish uh getting the cover jackie eventually gets the hot tag and uh, cleans house uh they do the old dosey do spot hit the stratus action and then a tornado DDT in tandem and they get simultaneous pins on the heels. What do you make of this one? It was just standard women's tag match. 
which usually we get these later in the show. This is normally your piss break before the main event. Um, so I, again, weird match placing of putting this on this early in the show. You know, however much we like Molly, Jazz, Trish and Jackie, you know, they can put a match together. They got, what, five minutes? And you just knew exactly what you were going to get. Even on a nothing show, they can't either give them any more time or let them plan out and have a better match. Yeah, I I had two real notes for this one, and I guess one of them isn't a surprise. Well, neither of them are a surprise, really. One is that I thought Lawler's commentary was pretty... Like, it's always bad for these matches, but it was really bad here. He, like, dialed it up. I don't know if he was, like, happy to be on the European tour and just, like, yeah, I, I, I don't know what it was. But I don't really want to repeat any of the creepy lines he dropped in in this match, but I do want to highlight and admonish them publicly. Uh, and then the other one is like this, like it's, it's like I say, not a surprise, but people are really into Trish, you know, like she is genuinely over and she, she is at that level, despite being the least experienced of the people in the match. And I think it's a credit to her hard work to get to where she's at now in terms of like, she is improving. And we've seen that over the years. And she's still got a lot of pro- uh, progress to go but i think um we're at the point with her now where if she's in a match she's not gonna bring it down which i think is a great credit to someone who came into this business with as little experience as she had and um yeah and and obviously has a connection with the crowd um and it kind of shows through i think she holds her own with these experienced wrestlers yeah um definite upside I just it's just that thing of like give them an extra five minutes and yeah because even the thing is someone like Trish in that extra five minutes on a house show or even something like this which is a glorified house show is a month's worth of tv time to hone yeah. her craft and it's it's a uh much less pressure situation than it is on tv as well and that's why you need to put in the the hard yards and, and and get your experience and build up your confidence levels to have these longer matches um and and the only way you improve at these sorts of things is is by doing it you, you're never going to get good at a 10 minute match if you don't have a 10 minute match yeah Moving on to the third match of the night, and we have X-Pac taking on Bradshaw. Uh, the story here, I, I guess, is just like that Scott Hallwood faced Bradshaw, so now X-Pac is, and I, I, I don't know, like the NWO, like a so, the fall from grace they've had uh, so quickly. I mean, it was very predictable, but uh, it's still disappointing. Um, expect gets thrown around like a ragdoll in the early going, but he uh, comes back into it with some heel work to uh, make things interesting. He undoes the turnbuckle cover on the middle rope and uh, drops Hulk Bradshaw into it, which busts him open. More on that later. Bradshaw storms back with uh, some power moves as Scott Hall walks down to ringside. He nails Bradshaw uh, with X-Packs and Nunchucks, which gets two. Bradshaw Wales on Hall with a close line from Hell, but X-Pac sneaks a low blow and finishes the match with the X-Factor after about eight minutes. Lacey, I mean, what what are we doing with the NWO at this stage? 
it is it is just fucking hilarious that what two months they've been here or mm. no what come yes yeah, it's still sort of two two and a half months so far and they've managed to kill it that quickly it is gloriously fucking hilarious that you t- you took something that WCW built itself on for what fucking two three years. <laughs> and murder it in two fucking months. Well played, WWF, well played. This match, fuck me, how does an eight-minute match seem like it goes on for half an hour? Fuck, this was just dull, boring, ploddy, and it felt so much longer than it was. Yeah, I expected this to be pretty horrible, and I, I think Bradshaw held his end of the bargain quite well. I don't know if I'm being too harsh on him, but I thought X-Pac, like, against the big guy at this stage in the game, is not something I always imagine will be the most watchable thing in the world, but I, I thought he probably overachieved in this match, and Bradshaw probably let the side down a little bit more. Obviously, there's, there's a lack of interested investment in anything this iteration of the NWO are doing at, at the moment. And, uh, I mean, as as we'll discuss later in the show, things go from bad to worse. Um, but, I don't know. It, this is, like, the, the, the most house show of house show matches, I guess. No, there's nothing going on here. In fact, I don't know even if this is a house show match because... You certainly wouldn't put it on a marquee to to, to draw a gate, would you? Like, you, I don't know. Yeah, flat. Uh, yeah, flatter than a plate of piss. <laughs> Speaking of piss, uh, one for Rory there. Next up, we've got Stephen Richards defending his hardcore title against uh, Booker T. Booker is here, usually a heel, but he's playing the uh, role of honorary face for the evening. This is quite a strange match because as i say it's for the hardcore title and they kind of go back and forth with some pace between just having a normal match and again lawland makes a comment in this one about like a wrestling match is going to break out and 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 a hardcore match like we start with a chin rock from richards which isn't very hardcore uh like at least put a kendo stick there or something but but no Booker then eventually gets some like trash can lids involved and hits a missile drop kick, which gets two. And I don't know. They, they, there's like a minute of wrestling. There's a minute of weapons, a minute of wrestling, a minute of weapons. Anyway, eventually the, the Steven kick gets two. Booker comes back with a bookend, uh, which earns him the win and the hardcore title. So how wrong we were, finally something newsworthy on one of these shows we've had we've had a title change booker t is gonna stroll into raw on monday with this hardcore title oh wait no we're not done crash holly runs in he gets a schoolboy and booker gets the three and gets the title there's some big heel heat with the crowd for that one for such a cheap win but uh yeah booker t won't be going into Raw with the title but we do have a new champion Crash will be there so that's something they'll have to explain away on TV oh wait no as he's celebrating Booker hits the axe kick gets the cover and gets the title back so we're back to Booker T that was a bit weird why they did that change with Crash there but I don't know something newsworthy anyway from one of these UK shows just as I'm writing that Tommy Dreamer and Just Incredible Attack they're hoping to become champs themselves. But Booker fights them off and uh, celebrates with a spin of Rooney. 
At this point, I think we've finally done it. Booker's got out with the belt. But then Jazz attacks from behind. Stephen Richards comes back uh, and drops him face first on a table, which uh, doesn't break. They only get two of it, so they repeat the spot. The table breaks this time, and this gets the win. Stephen Richards leaves with a hardcore title. So all of that was a complete waste of my time. Lacey. <laughs> yeah. Um, I Initially, when I saw that Book was in a fucking hardcore title match, I was like, fuck me, his stock's fallen, isn't it? WCW champion down in the fucking hardcore title. And then you then see that they've brought Tommy Dreamer and Just Incredible all the way over from the States. <laughs> and Crash Holly all the way over from the States just to be in this fucking two minutes of bullshit at the end of a match. Fucking, it, it's ridiculous. It's fucking pointless. And yeah, yeah, you can't even leave the fucking 20, the hardcore title changing hands. It has to go back to the status quo. But I will say, it was quite interesting to see a wrestling match break out in a hardcore title match. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like under different circumstances, uh, Richards and Booker could have a good match together, you, you know, like it, on pay-per-view, he gave them this amount of time and they didn't have to incorporate the hardcore stuff, which I would say is neither guy's forte, really. Um, the the post-match stuff was probably more entertaining than the match, that being said. Um, I, I, I guess, I, I don't know, I think the title changes were one of, one of the more fun things for the for the crowd, because no one's expecting it, even though, you, like you say, Booker's stock has fallen just by in, being in this picture, you just don't imagine to see him with the belt because that doesn't happen on shows like this. And then it did. And then yeah. we had like, yeah, a couple of minutes of nonsense, fun nonsense, but nonsense nonetheless. And uh, and then we leave with the status quo and the title changes never happened. And I'm sure it won't be referenced on TV at any point. So no, it's one of those of... Uh... I would imagine the the highlight of Booker's career of being two-time hardcore champion will <laughs> never be mentioned. Uh, moving on to the fifth match of the evening, and we have the Hardy Boys taking on uh, Brock Lesnar and Sean Stasiak. Uh, earlier in the evening, uh, Heyman had given Stasiak some instructions in the back, uh, telling him to basically stay on the apron, don't tag in. So, of course, Stasiak charges past Heyman and Lesnar, uh, storms the ring and gets things going uh, as the legal man. And the Hardys uh, double team him and are in complete control. Eventually, uh, Brock is in to break up a poetry in motion and he drags Stasiak back to their corner and tags himself in. He destroys Matt Hardy for a while, chooses not to pin him. Eventually, Matt avoids a charge and Lesnar posts himself. Uh, Stasiak makes the mistake of listening to the voices in his head some more and they tell him to tag himself in. Jeff gets backdropped to the apron and that sets up the twist of fate and the swanton on Stasiak after six minutes. So I guess technically we, we've just witnessed the end of Brock Lesnar's undefeated streak because he is on the losing team here. After the match, yep. Lesnar destroys all three guys and uh, I do want to make a note of a weird Lawler line that I have no problem repeating because the bloke's just an idiot. While talking about how Stasiak listens to the voices in his head, King drops the following line. I do what the voices in my pants tell me to do. Big sigh. 
Yeah. You see. What a twat. Um, this is not how I would have done this. Um, I would have had Stasiak come in, get smashed before even Brock got on the apron. The match sort of have that as a win still. And then just had Brock go in, fucking destroy everyone. Not have that bit where he looks weak as such. Because obviously, yes, he, he levers into that post with some fucking force. But it's that sort of thing of just let him not have any of that shine taken off him. Because, again, this is a house show that people aren't going to see. But is televised and... Yeah, I do think in the States they had it on in WF New York for those willing to be there at midday on a Saturday. Um, but yeah, I'd have just let him be the monster at the end, just come in and just like fucking smash everyone up like he did. Just not have him in the actual match itself. Um, me, I am surprised he still has a job. Like, seriously, <laughs> why, why is he even around the absolute fucking cretin that he is? But yeah, it, this takes a little bit of the gloss off off Lesnar early. Yeah, I, I I agree with you to be honest. That I think if this was like a a main pay per view, um, yeah, I'd be rightly angry about it. I think generally the the aim was to try and not bury the Hardys, keep Stasiak looking like a geek, which they they can do by himself, and Brock looking like a monster and i think they, they kind of got all three but i don't think they got the optimum result for all three and i agree with you there was a better way to do this but again the uk show caveat applies so uh i think this was perfectly fine uh, next up we've got the uh, match between uh, spike dudley and william regal uh, it starts with spike, spike firing off a few drop kicks, but he lands badly on his ankle while going for the uh, Dudley dog. Trainer comes out, cuts off his uh, boot. Regal clips Spike from behind and slams his ankle into the middle rope. We get a butterfly bomb, and Regal wants to add some more punishment. Hall Spike up, but Spike reverses a suplex attempt into a small package for the win. After the match, Regal knocks Spike out with some brass knucks, getting some revenge for the loss. What do you make of this one? Regal, isn't he such a villain? <laughs> oh, such a naughty boy. Um, it was all right. It was short. Um, again, it's another one of those of just because you know exactly what's going to happen. You know that Regal's not winning the belt. So it was all right. But, yeah, it's good to see our boy Regal on on a pay-per-view and especially on an England show and being the dastardly pantomime villain that he is. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I agree. Regal is an exceptional villain. Uh, and It's one of those matches. You can't really fairly grade it. Like with so much of it being based around the ankle thing. And it barely went like probably two minutes that aside. Um, I mean, this is one of those things that if you did want to make these shows seem slightly more significant, you can just put the European belt on Regal. Not like it means anything and would have given the fans a thrill. Despite him being a villain, I'm sure people would have popped big through it regardless. Um, But 
it's just the status quo of these shows and and we know we know the story with them by by this stage in the game and uh too short to really get worked up about one way or another i think and unfortunately uh could have done with some time shaved off of the this next match and given to this instead well your your match of the of the year oh my god i can't believe i was in attendance for this match and like I, like it's not just like burned into my head as like a or like a, a an awful moment in my life um, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I've not needed therapy for <laughs> forevermore. Well, maybe that is. Well, maybe that's the root cause of all the, all my life's perils. You know, maybe it's this fucking big show match. Yes. Uh, so, spoiler alert: the the next match is Stone Cold Steve Austin, and I can't believe I'm talking so disparagingly about a match involving him uh, taking on the Big Show, and uh, one of my favourite things about this match is that to keep the nwo from interfering so to prevent nwo shenanigans rick flair has appointed nick patrick as the inside official and himself as the outside official i just love the idea that flair of all people is appointing someone nick patrick of all people to prevent someone favoring the nwo just sensational uh, show overpowers Austin early, but Austin goes low and works over Show's leg. And then for some reason, they basically repeat that over and over and over again. Austin gets overpowered. He cheats, goes after the legs. Austin gets overpowered. He cheats and goes after the legs. And we just kind of do that for a while until eventually Big Show accidentally uh, nails the ref. Austin hits uh, show with a stunner, but the ref is obviously down. He calls for Flair to replace the original ref, but Hall and x back are there and drag him out. Flair chases him to the back. Kevin Nash sneaks in with some nunchucks, but Austin stuns him. Big shows up. He eats a pair of stunners and uh, Austin gets the three, overcoming the odds after remarkably, I cannot believe how long this match went, 16 minutes. And that, like, obviously... This isn't the the most important pay-per-view we've ever reviewed. And normally my match notes are far more maybe detailed. I'd say they're more play-by-play than these match summaries that I'm doing for this show. But my God, I would have struggled to get more out of this than I did. Nothing happened in this match. Unless you, I mean, caught more than me, Lacey? No, it was punch, kick, punch, kick. Punch, kick, stunner, NWO, stunner, end. But, but again, another one, like I said about uh, X Pac and Bradshaw, a match that was of a, a 15 minutes, which is long, felt like half a fucking hour. It just dragged so bad and was fucking awful. Part of me would have had this at the end of the show, though, just if the end part is Austin stunnering all of the NWO and Flair, that should go home moment. Yeah. But, yeah, the match was fucking absolute dog shit. Yeah, I I agree with you. It should have gone last. And, like, for as boring and flat as the match was... uh, Austin was as over as he's ever been in the arena, you know, like whether that was what chance or just the air horns or, or whatever the crowd were 
pretty much entertaining themselves with, but they were having the time of their lives because Stone Cold Steve Austin was there. Um, and I mean, it's a credit to the crowd that the atmosphere was as good as it was because it's not a stellar show, it's not a stellar card, and this bloody match was rubbish and so flat and long and dull. But um, I don't know. Uh, not not a lot happened and and the crowd stayed invested and they stayed keen and i think that's a credit to them and it's also a credit to how big of a star stone cold steve austin is yeah this was very much only because it's austin and what austin has done for the past two three years that the reaction he was getting was the reaction that they had which is why as i said i would put this last just as being that sort of home very happy and you leave with that memory of the last thing you see which is if you know austin's having a fucking beer bash and smashing stunners on people and stuff that's that's what you want as your parting image not trips and taker in a broken ring which we'll go on to in a moment and, and uh, even more so when the, and like I make a note of the after the match stuff with Flair trying to make nice with Austin by sharing a beer and Austin just giving him a stunner. Uh, and yeah, uh, JR probably had my favorite commentary line of the night where he, he's attempting to sell the idea that Austin would stun the guy signing his checks is shocking. And I'm like, that's like that's like the storyline for the last like five years. That is all we've got. Yep. But um, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. It was quite funny. I found that quite amusing. Um, and yeah, that, that's the kind of the perfect send off. There's not going to be anyone on this show as over as Austin, and you're not going to get a bigger pop than than that. So uh, particularly with the main event, they did have lined up. Um, yeah. Speaking of that main event, it's time for uh, the Undertaker taking on Triple H just completely violating and just throwing the brand split away early doors just for this shite you know like it's not even like if it was for a really big match then go ahead but I don't know it feels low stakes and meh to me but we'll see uh we start uh with uh the two men slugging it out and Hunter gets the best of it. Uh, Taker goes old school, but Triple H and I'm quoting JR completely directly here. Jerks Taker off to escape. Uh, they brawl on the floor for a while uh, until they head back inside. Taker goes for a knee until Hunter comes back uh, and uh, the top rope breaks on an Irish whip. Taker goes for the choke slam, uh, but Hunter counters with a sloppy DDT. Taker Taker stays with it and hits a choke slam, uh, but this time he grabs a chair instead of going for the win. Hunter then gets a knee, uh, knee his knee up and uh, knees the chair into Taker's face, and Taker follows up with a much better DDT. Taker goes for his dragon sleeper, but uh, Triple H fights out and gets a clothesline. We get a snake eyes by Taker, but Triple H gets a high knee. He hits a pedigree and gets the pin. Triple H walks away with the victory. Uh, the two men, by the way, kind of had like a stare down to end the show. Um, what did you make of this one? Obviously, pretty unfortunate mishap that the rope went and kind of limited the style of stuff they could do. Not that either of these two men are 
high flyers by any means, but certainly must have changed the dynamic of the match on the fly. And I think they um, did quite well um, for both like, considering that uh, limitation. So the the ring break bit, you know, is a little bit of a struggle for them. But then again, actually, it's not because it's not like they're Rey Mysterio and Psychosis and Hubertude Guerrero need to be bouncing off the ropes. Um, this we've we've seen much better between these two. Um, this was it seemed like both of them were just going through the motions. It's like yeah, we're here. We'll just do do our ploddy shit, and it felt like a fucking ploddy match. Um, yeah, it was all right. <laughs> As I said, I would have I would have put Austin on last just for the send people home happy instead of send people home meh. Yeah, I, I don't know. Very ploddy match. Um, not that I would necessarily expect it to be to those standards by any means. Nor like I don't think they were even aiming for that. But like pales in comparison to the mania match they had last year. Um, and I mean, <laughs> who can blame them? Like, no one's going to be working WrestleMania level matches at uh, house shows level pay per views, you know. Um, but yeah, uh, I think uh, not for match quality, but they could have done with Austin uh, closing the show and sending the crowd home happy. I think that would have been preferable to what we got. And with that uh, main event in the books, and the quick recap of the Interaction pay-per-view. Uh, it's time for your overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of 10. So I paid my 15 quid for this. Um, I wish I'd have paid a bit more and actually gone to it and had much more fun with it than I did watching it at home um, that Saturday night. Um, it's a four. It's dull, ploddy. Um, would work so much better there than watching it on telly. Yeah, I, I think the crowd stopped this from falling into sort of free territory. I think a four is about right. By the books, UK pay-per-view, uh, no uh, like significant developments, faces generally going over where they could, or a DQ or a cheap finish where not. Um filled with matches that were just uh i don't know felt like it could have been an extended raw you know not 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 anything of great significance in terms of uh going in or coming out it's a house show and the crowd had a great time and sometimes that's all you need and i don't think anyone who was there and paid their money would have left disappointed um when uh we would have yeah, yeah, would have been disappointed uh, going in knowing what the card was and coming out and having seen that show and having a fun time. So I think a four out of ten makes it sound like a bad show. It's, it's not a bad show. It's just an entirely skippable show. And uh, with Insurrection in the books, I uh, think it's time that we take the time machine back to uh, 2022 
to move on to the more newsworthy aspect of the show and have a sort of deep dive into what became known as the plane ride from hell. Um, Lacey, I, I know, uh, I think we're both guilty of dropping a few swears in that first section of the show, but I think it's only right that considering what we're going to be discussing, we, we put in a bit of a content warning for this section. <coughs> Do you agree? Yeah. So, um, in this, there will be lots and lots of swearing, so not for listening around kids. Um, obviously, if, if you let your kids having some of the, the F-bombs and stuff that I drop, really, no. Um, we will, there will be shit that in this that may trigger people, so, you know, rape and sexual assault and drugging and alcoholism and just general dickery. Um, so, yeah, you are warned. This is this is you know modern term lights out section. Um, we are gonna we're not pulling punches on this. So both me and Chris will give our full and true thoughts of everything that came out of the plane road from hell. As I said, if you're easily offended or got kids around, this is this is your stop point. You have fair warning it's going to get rude. Yeah, so um, as I say, to properly cover this, we've had to take the time machine, travel back to 2022, um, mainly because uh, sort of details regarding this incident were really scarcely reported at the time. I think they they did try and keep the lid on things by and large. Um, although the immediate short-term aftermath would just see two wrestlers released from the company, Scott Hall and Kurt Hennig, um this was during the flight back to the states following the insurrection pay-per-view they'd done a four-date european tour and uh so basically on this flight a series of incidents occurred which combined became one of wrestling's most infamous scandals i think if you're listening to this you may be most familiar with the incident due to the 2021 episode of vice's dark side of the ring which covered the whole ordeal so firstly i'm going to just run through the plane facts and details as they happened as sort of given to us by this vice documentary um so the company had chartered a plane back to the states which included an open bar which many of the occupants of the flight uh very much indulged in so these are just some of the reported incidents in the documentary episode so yeah they they, they include but are not limited to the following Physical altercations between wrestlers such as Kurt Henning and uh, Brock Lesnar, which uh, caused significant internal damage to the plane uh, and almost quite significantly uh, saw them accidentally open the plane's emergency exit while the plane was in the air. Physical altercations between Michael Hayes and Bradshaw uh, prompted by Hayes punching the sleeping Bradshaw in the face and uh, reopening and busting open the cut he had suffered at insurrection during that match with X-Pac. Um, reports of sexual harassment of the two female flight attendants, Terilyn Capellano and Heidi Doyle, and the latter for whom features heavily in the uh, Dark Side of the Ring episode, with Scott Hall, who allegedly said sexually vulgar things to Doyle before grabbing her, licking her face and passing out, and allegedly Ric Flair, who exposed himself to both women, grabbed their hands and had him touch uh, his private parts 
I do have the note Flair denies the allegations to this day. The documentary also covers indulgent use of uh, indulgent and recreational use of uh, prescription medication, individuals being drugged using so-called H-bombs so the boys could have their way with them, partaking in pranks such as shaving or X-Pac cutting off the unconscious Michael Hayes ponytail. Uh, the two flight attendants did file a lawsuit against the WWE in 2004, who settled out of court. Uh, the Vice documentary also covered alleged sexual harassment perpetrated by newcomer Brock Lesnar towards Terry Runnels at the insurrection pay-per-view itself. Uh, Vice noted that all attempts to reach Brock Lesnar to discuss the allegations went unreturned. JR noted they received a lot of complaints from uh, the boys regarding Lesnar's conduct on the plane. Lacey, that's just the, the facts as reported in the documentary there i mean there's a lot of information and we'll get into some specifics a bit later on the flare and the role of tommy dreamer in the documentary but just as an overall intro like what are your sort of thoughts on the face of it so you know we we've all been on planes that have been delayed and you know yeah they they do suck but who in their right minds goes through three fucking trolleys full of booze you know that's i'm 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 a fairly decent drinker how how are these people not absolutely fucking like passed out at this point before they take off for the amount of piss they get through and then you just think oh this must be normal especially when they come out about fucking h-bombing people and that's that's my first point where I really want to go in on some shit here. The fact that RVD came out and said it of Senate, he didn't do it, so we're not sort of tarnishing RVD with that brush, but him saying that it was pretty common for the boys to H-bomb women so they could uh, have their way. What a bunch of absolute fucking scumbags. Oh, yeah, let's H-bomb the boys and, you know... The whole thing with Hayes that we'll probably go on more about in a little while. But yeah, that that's sensible. And it's the thing is, obviously, Mike Yoda is one of the, the talking heads in the documentary. And he's just like, yeah, just, oh, it happened. It's normal. You know, H-bombing each other. Boys you know, will be boys. Just, it's that sort just, of mentality, isn't just, it? Just chewing all these prescription drugs because we can. Um, you know, even someone that we know, obviously had issues with drugs and alcohol and stuff credible pj um and he's sort of going about the level of drugs that these people were fucking just taking for shits and giggles and it being you know just a little bit normal and just like how how is this normal yeah, this this let's, let's not sort of take this in the, in the concept of the the plane ride at this point, but to be that normal is that you take uppers and downers constantly, but because they're prescription ones, they're fine. Fucking drug your so-called friends and colleagues, that's fine, and consume to that level constantly I know we are a few years away from the wellness policy at this point which is brought on by you know the Benoit shit but 
this is all in front of Vince. They are all in the same fucking plane as Vince and JR, who are talent relations and the owner of the fucking company. And this is normal. This is like a culmination. And as you say, the wellness policy is years off, but this is a culmination of not just within WWF, but within probably the fucking entire industry of the worst example of like a toxic, like truly toxic culture and atmosphere that seeps into. Like, I don't believe that everyone in wrestling is a bad person. Like, I don't believe that for a second. I'm sure there's a higher percentage of wrestlers who are dickheads than maybe like other, I don't know, other other professions. But that people get swept up into these sorts of things, and then it becomes like tradition, and like it gets passed on. And if you're not involved, then you're probably the target of it yourself, and then you get more involved. And it's just like this this whole atmosphere, like. This is separate from the plane ride, but I'll talk about uh, Terry talking about how uh, Brock Lesnar um, uh, was flashing himself and exposing himself at her uh, at the pay-per-view itself. And uh, in front of people, no one has the balls to stand up for her or stand up to Brock. Uh, like n- no one there and her ex-husband takes her aside and just says don't sell it and that's that's the only advice we have for women women in these environments like it, men are going to do what the fuck they like to you no one's going to stop them no one can stop them because this is just the culture that we've bu- built within this company and within this locker room and if you sell it and show signs that you're affected by sexual harassment and a man exposing him to yourself, himself to you against your will, it's going to get worse for you. So you just have to grit your teeth, put up with it, smile, and just get about your day. And there's probably experiences that people have had within the company where Brock Lesnar's like this. We we can see that they see money in him from an in-ring perspective and from a in-ring persona it's obvious why they see money in him. And if someone who they don't see money in goes to the office with a complaint, who do you think is going to get cut from that company? It's yeah. not going to be the new golden boy Vince is staring at with dollar signs in his eyes. It's, it's going to be the people lower down the totem pole. And Vince is going to clear the way for people like Brock Lesnar to rise to the top like they would do, but like just based on talent and athletic ability alone. But like... Brock is how long's Brock been around this main roster? I mean, he's been working some dark shows longer than he's been on TV, but since Mania, right? And he yeah. is already swept up in this culture and fully involved and at the forefront of stuff, not even on the plane. So what Lesnar did was completely sober, just backstage at a show. And then you get on the plane and you get all those trolleys of alcohol and you get people sleep deprived and you get the prescription pills pop in and just an inhuman amount of alcohol and everything gets dialed all the way up and you get just a litany of appalling reports and incidents. And I'm sure there's more that like it's a 40 minute documentary at the end of it that most of this comes out on. 
because it's covered up at the time quite significantly and there's probably a, a bucket load they thought right we like we can't put 20 different things in there we're going to have to focus in on four or five big ones and they trim the fat as it were and we just hear some of the worst like not necessarily worst stuff but just some of the the bigger stories from the plane i guess i'm sure there's so much more and so many more people involved in these sorts of things and this isn't an isolated incident no this is just the famous one because it it came out because of their the lawsuit you know the fact that all the details came out at the time but it was known about because of the lawsuit because even though it was settled out of court it was public record that these flight attendants were suing them and obviously the fact there was a couple of people got fired as soon as they got back off the trip and you know shoot interviews and things like that came out with oh yeah it was because of you know this plane ride that came back so over time little details have come out but it's never been as a full there you go as it was with the the vice documentary but it's it's the fact of as you say the mentality of don't sell it it's like so it's fine that anyone can fucking do what the fuck they want. Just don't sell it. It's like, and the shit is that came out of JR's fucking mouth as well. Because when Dustin's fucking hammered singing his bad country songs on the PA on the plane, you've got fucking JR telling Terry, because Terry's up in the first class bit with Vince, don't sell it. Don't sell it. How, how is that? fucking normal don't don't show that what they're doing is a fucking dickhead maneuver even in 2000s you wouldn't get away with that it's fucking absolute bullshit we'll we'll hit the other bit with brock now because we're we're on brock him and take him and fucking perfect having a, a slap happy on the plane we, we all have known the stories about Perfect being the Joker and uh, the Great River because, I you know, I get silly practical jokes at, at the venue, like, you know, wetting someone's shirt or something like that, you know, just to entertain yourself whilst you're waiting for your match because, you know, they, they're there for fucking four hours, have a 15-minute match, and they're bored for the rest of it. You know, and the, the harmless little silly bits, but Brock clearly doesn't get what what this is. So, you know, Brock was probably the worst target for slapping him on the head with shaving foam because he reacted like you'd expect a fucking giant Neanderthal to react, which is scrap. Um, and, you know, it's that thing of like, who the, who the fuck is going to try and calm them down? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a report that they don't mention in this, but doesn't Taker and Angle go at it as well? Yep. In first class, nest scrapping. And you're just like... And the thing is, the Taker and Angle one, because obviously they would have been in first class, would have been in front of fucking Vince. And it's just like, oh, that's fine. Well, you, I mean, you, you know that Vince is going to be like... If Taker and Angle are having a scrap in front of him, Vince is the cheerleader, right? Like, there's no fucking way he's not into that and playing along and enjoying, like, having a few drinks himself. Like, 
I, I, I don't know. That's good shit, pal. I'll, I'll put a fiver on Kurt. There's there's a bit in the in the Vice doc where uh, Heidi Doyle is so she's the uh, flight one of the flight attendants who she says like she's like the safety officer or something for the flight and it, it's during one of these like scraps where you've got like fucking Brock Lesnar just like throwing another man around and smashing the overhead lockers and it's all being destroyed and as noted they nearly open the emergency exit door. Um, which have been a complete catastrophe, and she's just there. Like, what? What can she physically do in that yeah. situation with like however many people there are in that bit of the plane, having that, had that much alcohol, all the drugs, alcohol, just the adrenaline and testosterone that's flying around. Like, there's 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 nothing that she could do in the realm of possibility to gain control of that situation it's it's unsafe and it's it's negligible like sorry neglectful of like the company to perpetuate this situation by having these sorts of things like it's it's like jr says like oh we thought we were doing like a good thing for the boys like we've charted this plane back and it's like we've got the open button it's like but there's there's like there's a human element to this like you you have to be considerate of like their behavior and this is this isn't the first time these things have happened like people i don't know and the thing is, you say that about obviously like the fuck tons of booze and stuff. You've got people on this fucking plane who are known addicts. Hayes was on fucking the medication for his alcoholism that if he drunk, he threw up. Yet you surround him with fucking shit tons of booze. Scott Hall, who again, I remember saying it when we said about NW coming back in and like oh how quick will he be gone he w- is a known fucking addict he was not in any way shape or form in the mental capacity or state to be let loose to go around and do that sort of you know be in that sort of environment with his fucking levels of addiction and yes he had Scott there yes he had fucking or Kevin there and uh, Sean there to be his boys and look after him. But the thing is, they're not there 24-7. And Kev loves a fucking bottle, a nice bottle of red. And we know X-Puck loves his fucking drugs too. You know, this isn't this isn't like fucking having trips with them, with trips being the sober one that doesn't touch anything and doesn't drink to be his fucking guardian. You... You, you are putting people into a position where they're not they're not good for their fucking helps. And that is the thing about the cuntiness of the Fed is that this was the normal mentality for far too fucking long and the norm for far too fucking long. And if it wasn't for the fact that Benoit went fucking crazy and killed his fucking wife and kid, that mentality probably would have still been going for a fucking few more years until we get the next generation that come in that are gamers and stuff that will sit in the locker room and fucking play on a fucking Xbox and the PlayStation 
That's... all day whilst they're waiting for TV, which is, this is the thing, it's like, I love Cornette, but one of the things that fucks me off with Cornette is when he kicks off about modern day wrestlers just playing on their phones and playing fucking video games. I would much rather them doing that than fucking on this much fucking piss and drugs. One of the other people who sort of always says stuff like that that really winds me up is The Undertaker. We've heard more and more from him in recent years. And he is so like, oh, these modern day guys just don't get it, like, and all that. But, like, a large part of it is that he's just an old, old man who's been left behind. And, like, these these guys, they save their money better. They look after their health better. They have, uh, like just they just seem it seems like a way happier place to be and it's because people who followed generations of wrestlers since this era 2002 have seen like the the hideous example that people of the undertaker's generation and following set for them and like jr mentions in the documentary like young wrestlers will come up and see guys that they they were stars in their day and like um but they don't have like two dimes to rub together i think that's how jr phrases it and it's like yeah. they, they blow all their money on bit pills and booze and god knows whatever what what else and that's how it all feeds into this culture and it's like if you're not doing that you're not one of the boys and it's always like something that's like critical of them and i think like Obviously, this is an entirely different topic, and I don't want to get way too far off course, but it's like, obviously, these days, even in the Fed, in the main event scene, like, professional wrestling in 2002 is way less work rate orientated than it is now. Obviously, a lot of that is personnel, but it's also that people can do that for longer because they look after their bodies better, generally speaking. Obviously, it's a big generalization, but when you've got people hitting the towns behaving like this four or five nights a week and then working 250 dates a year or whatever it is at the time, whatever the schedule is probably less with the brand split. Um, that's like how you end up with people like Kurt in the years that follow from this developing such a significant uh, addiction to pain medication because his body's in so much pain because of what he's doing to it in the ring and then at the bars, you know, and yeah. having to do that to yourself and push your body to extremes because it's the only way you can physically cope with the stress and the strain you're putting on yourself. And it's all from this, like just toxic well, antiquated if you, culture. If you look uh, mid, so say from like late eighties through to mid two thousands, how many of those guys that were wrestlers were dead by mid 40s? Your tests, your crash hollies, Candido, fucking Rick Rude, Hawk, yeah, perfect. Fucking, you know, all of them were part of that fucking scene where it was stab yourself in the ass with roids shove as much shit up your snout as you fucking can and drink as much as you can and this this is like 
this should have been the fucking moment when the wellness policy and fucking the attitude changed. But it took the fucking Benoit for it to fucking get to that point. And this is this is like that giant fucking flashing moment of the culture and the fucking attitude of wrestling and wrestlers is not fucking good for the boys and not good for fucking anyone around the fucking boys. You know, this is like the ultimate, like, for fuck's sake, what the fuck are you fucking doing? And it's... The the big problem is, people like fucking Michael Hayes, who are just as fucking there on it, and he's one of the writers. You know, he's one of the management Fucking JR's there, like, not giving two fucking shits. Probably knocking back some Moscow mules. Just like, oh, Brock and Kurt Henning are having a scrap and nearly put the fucking plane door through. They're just play fighting. You know, it, it's just that fucking attitude. And, it, and as you say, it's probably fucking the same with Vince. And his fucking attitude towards it is just, yeah, well, you know, boys will be boys. You know, just turn up on TV and make me some money every week. You know, it is... This this is the, the fucking shining moment of this is what is fucking wrong with wrestling as a fucking whole at this point. You know, and it only gets worse. So, I guess really we should delve into the crux of the Dark Sabbath Ring episode and pay further attention to the coverage of these Ric Flair allegations and specifically as part of that the role that Tommy Dreamer plays in the documentary I would say victim shaming or at the very least blaming Heidi Doyle in his defense of Ric Flair so before we cover his comments I do want to emphasize just the severity of the allegations against Flair um, so I'll read some of the quotes that Heidi Doyle made on the documentary here. So she says, I was in the galley. Ric Flair was naked in his cape only. He decided to come to the back to get a Coke and then he wouldn't leave. He had me up against the back door and I couldn't move. I couldn't get away from him. I couldn't move. He was spinning around his penis and he wanted me to touch it. He grabbed my hand and he put it on him. I don't feel that it was his intent to rape me, but what he did was against my will and wrong. It was wrong, and he went to sleep at night thinking that he made it back from his resting trip safe and maybe had a headache because he had too many cocktails on the plane, but I didn't get to go to sleep that night. I also want to note that Rob Van Dam corroborated this story, saying that I remember Flair crowding her and trying to make her touch him and stuff. Um, She does also note here, and I mean... By no means does Dustin Rhodes come out of this looking like an angel because he's one of the people that is fined by the company. And JR actually talks about how close they were to firing him. So his conduct, as you already mentioned, getting on the mic and uh, the the system and how drunk he was and stuff is not to be applauded by any means. But he did make a note of saying he was the only uh, Justin was the only wrestler on the plane who made any attempt to stop Flair from when he had her pinned against the wall at the back, um, shouting over the mic that Flair should leave her alone. So I suppose at the very least, that is of note. 
now with that in mind um i pulled out a few quotes of what dreamer had to say in the episode oh we'll we'll do dreamer later because dreamer we'll has a like... special place in fucking hell from me okay but right. we'll, we'll do we'll do cunty flair first right take it away on flair flair is a fucking cunt because he thinks it's big and clever that he whips his dick out and swings it around and the reason he thinks he's big and clever is we know that he thinks he's big and fucking clever the espn 20 or 30 for 30 he goes on about how much he fucking did it and at one point whipped it out and slapped it on sting's head that was a wwf produced documentary via espn then on wwf story time which was aimed at kids because it was a cartoon he goes on about the one night that he got seven stewardesses to go back in the in a part of the plane who wanted him to just be wearing his robe so the nature boy had to do what the nature boy does and took it and just went in with just his robe on and then bedded all seven he's proud of the fact that he will get his fucking get naked into just a robe and start swinging his fucking dick about and you know rumor is that he does have a fairly big fucking one but i don't give a fuck and it's not fucking right for him to be there swinging it around in a fucking plane if you know he wants to do it backstage you know in the locker room as a joke in front of the boys that's one thing but to do it on a fucking plane in front of everyone is fucking disgusting and then to go that bit fucking further and basically we've all as said we've all been on planes how small the galley is because usually it's by the loose you can see how tiny it is forcibly fucking hold someone into a confined space whilst waving your cock at them and then forcing their hands to touch it it's fucking disgusting i originally was with just the whole him whipping a dick but you know dickheads will be dickheads but this how he was not fired for this i will not fucking understand with that in mind i think is only right because i couldn't possibly follow <laughs> what you've just done i mean the actually the one thing that we should note is on date of recording is when we've had news break that rick flair is going to be making an in-ring return this year in 2022 and i just like at this anyone, stage in the anyone game, that books him from now on especially after this dark side came out yep clearly everyone within the industry like the wwf who have used flair hundreds of times on hundreds of dates over the last 20 years knew about all of this but but now the public do as well and you can't hide from that anymore you know like that's that all there is to it is is that I, i don't know they 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 felt like they could get away with it when we didn't know but now we all do and i mean maybe it's naive for me to say that we didn't know 
but like i i think generally speaking like if you're just a fan who just watches tv and you're not on twitter or on any message boards like how could you know you know like and there's millions of wrestling fans that aren't on any of those things um like you I, i don't know but the idea that at 73 years old anyone wants to see rick flair wrestle as a wrestler let alone after all of this stuff became publicly available i mean what so he got his wwe release last year and like it looked like for all intents and purposes he was going to head straight to aew um to be in andrade's corner and like like as that was like gonna happen dark side came out and the whole thing got cancelled and i mean thank fuck for aew that they walked away from that because just what a monstrosity of a situation that would been to hire him and then off the back of yeah or or just yeah hire him and then it comes out and then immediately have to fire him or hire him regardless and i think that would have been like a death knell for lots of fans i mean when this dark side episode it sounds so fucking ridiculous but when this aired in september last year i had a real hard time enjoying the odd wwf well wwe show that i watched like as in from last year like like when there was a pay-per-view i i like watched it through gritted teeth because i'm like it's it's all still Vince, isn't it? You know, like and all of the bad things and everything that like happened here and is covered up here, it's all fucking Vince, and he's still there pulling all the strings, and it just left a really bad taste in my mouth. Like, and there's something that I think as wrestling fans, you you do have to battle between the morality of these situations and knowing where your money goes and where your network subscription goes if you're outside of the US and they've got a UK pay-per-view coming up like at the stadium show later this year and I'm looking to get tickets for it but like am I then a hypocrite you know like I I, I don't know it's it's one of those things where it's I think uh, a bit of a ethical dilemma I think as a fan because okay flair's not there anymore but that's not because of this they booked him for 20 years like well not not solidly but you know they used him for 20 more years Uh, i don't know i I think the whole thing and it's naive to to say that this is the sort of thing that because it's always there It's, it's been in wrestling for decades up until 2002 but to have it laid bare and and to see the story of a woman like heidi doyle and and have it all laid out in front of you that this is these are the guys that you look up to these are the wrestlers that you've admired and this is the sport you're a fan of and and these are the people that make you happen it's just it's just hard to stomach and i think on that note i think it's to, if i do turn our attention to dreamer and some of his quotes because i think it, he comes out of this as badly as flair does to be honest because he made his quotes in 2021 you know so he's first quoted as flair could move his hips he could twirl it around and he's so his well-endowed penis spins around like a helicopter he's the nature boy for the reason he's got a hammer on him i feel like this is just trying to portray someone as a sexual predator and it's not fair it was just a joke it was just a gag he's not trying to impose anything 
by force any sexual stuff. He's just flaunting, styling and profiling. Everyone should just laugh at it. But obviously someone took offence to it. That's in 2021. Like, so I think there's like a tendency for people caught up in these situations who maybe aren't perpetrators, but are bystanders. And, and don't intervene someone like a I, I mean i don't mean to call him out as an individual but because like he he went on the record and corroborated the, the the story from heidi doyle but like rvd who who clearly was witness to it but didn't get involved yeah but but like rvd can have his opinions to it on the situation he's honest about it and he clearly recognizes it as sexual harassment borderline sexual assault depending on whose account you believe and acknowledge the immorality, the, the wrongness of the situation. Someone like Tommy Dreamer to sit there with a smug grin on his face and to say that and just to to lay like lay those opinions on a televised documentary about the situation because of what some misplaced trust and loyalty to Ric Flair, like because what he, he he was a he was a good wrestler because he had some good matches like is is that is that literally what we're reduced to i mean lacy what are you making of all this dreamer stuff <clears throat> well i was gonna let you have your your go on that first because i i feel it might be another one like where, where i let rip that you won't have anything to follow with um so yeah and if, if you want a little uh diatribe on it i just i, I mean first. i don't have anything particular to say outside of i think i come out disappointed but not surprised in flair but i think dreamer in this shocked me to my core because you you get people that say like oh it's boys will be boys and it's of the time but then dreamer is there 20 years or 19 years on from the incident perpetuating the same bullshit that leads to these toxic cultures that like borns um these type of incidents and 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 it, and it leads to people like rick flair and for sexual predators like for him to say it's not fair for flair to be portrayed as a sexual predator while discussing the fact that these wrestlers would drug people and have their way with them or he was naked he pinned a woman against her will a down a corridor grabbed her and made him touch his dick her touch his dick and it's just absolutely fucking vile he had some real life consequences i actually don't know if he's like back with the company or anything about this i remember hearing at the time where dreamer was suspended from his role with impact wrestling immediately in the aftermath of the documentary airing he later tweeted to apologize for his comments and i don't think i've heard from him since and like rightly so i hope i've never fucking hear from the cunt again like honestly i think he came out of this like as bad for me as rick flair did yeah um so a little bit of uh, context with dreamer as in documentaries normally usually especially stuff about ecw and you know, that sort of era he always seems to come across as the voice of reason and a rational human being who seems to you know have some form of moral compass you know he was very much you know the especially in the ecw stuff of 
we knew we were getting fucked and there was no money, but we did it because we, we felt a duty to do these sort of things. And he normally comes across as, as someone who's got his head on his shoulders. When you say that it's fine just because Flair has a massive dick to swing it around and force someone to touch it, makes you a fucking grade A cunt. And I will have nothing to do with this fucking prick ever again. I, now that we're out of the ECW stuff, and thank fuck for that, this <laughs> ECW died before this aired because that would have changed a lot of things on that fucking podcast because I would not have been able to fucking do Dreamer, oh, isn't he fucking great still because he's a cunt. Um, is that he fucking comes out and goes, oh, well, everything offends people now. Look, my double ponytail will offend someone. Oh, as yeah. That's the same as sexual assault. And I will never watch anything that he is on. So if anything comes up, Fed stuff, boss bit still doing this, I won't watch any fucking Tommy Dreamer stuff. Fuck him. And you know, it was hard to just, I did sort of, as soon as he came out, and I think I was like, oh, fuck that, I'll go get a drink. Because he is a fucking cunt. And will never have fucking anything again, because he is the biggest prick in this. And the fact that he thought that what he was saying was okay, and then as soon as it all he got the backlash because i remember watching this on twitter as it happened him going oh my comments have been taken out of context no they fucking haven't you knew exactly what you were saying fuck you you cunt and i guess all that's really like left to cover and this is any other sort of incidents or individuals you'd like to go into before we move on to sort of the aftermath of it all so as I said um, obviously uh, they, they shouldn't have been allowed that amount of booze Scott Hall oh, what God, he did yeah. is fucking wrong but at the same point I would imagine that he was so drugged out of his skull the fact of how Credible had to get him off the plane because he looked like he was fucking dead. I'm going to imagine he was not in that sort of the mindset that that was deliberate. That was a drugged up, pissed mess. Not condoning what he did, but that wasn't a deliberate choice like fucking Flair. Um, fucking, it's just, just when they once they got the cunts off and they were just going things sort of say about how, what the, the state of the plane and there's fucking needles everywhere fucking puke piss booze fucking food and the fucking plane company that were just like oh it's fine we'll just tidy it up it's fine we have to keep our clients details secretive you know we, we need to show that we're not going to tell people about the shit that these fucking animals get up to. Oh, they're fucking staff better. Because they will be a fucking public traded company who will have shareholders and a board and not 
the same way that the Fed has shareholders in a board. Yeah, it's all up to one fucking man. They they should not have allowed their staff to be treated like that. And you know, someone like Heidi, yes, there was some shit that came out about her after the show went out that she was caught in a, a robbery or something. I'm not surprised that her life fell apart after this. No. Because as she says in this, it's like, how do you tell your husband who's at home with your first kid who's merely months old? Oh, yeah, I was on a plane with all these wrestlers and Ric Flair, you know, that famous old guy tried to fucking throw his cock at me. You know, the husband is going to be there going, well, what did you did you lead him on? Did you do something? Why did this happen? You know, normal people are not going to see it just as, oh, Rick being Rick. You know, these these are normal people that aren't in that mindset and that culture that that's all just fine. You know, we don't hear from the other stewardesses, but I can imagine... None of them ever wanted to get on a fucking plane again after that fucking shower of shit. Because I know if I was the fucking staff and that shit was happening, keep your fucking job. Fuck this. It's not worth it. So my only other notes from the show, the Vice Docs of the Ring, was Gerald noted that in other circumstances, um, there would have been FBI waiting for all the passengers after landing. Um, just to reiterate just the two firings Hall and Hennig and Hall as you mentioned uh, just incredible wheeling Hall out of the plane and through customs putting sunglasses on him and pretending he had some sort of medical condition because he was just completely passed out and completely annihilated Uh, fines handed out to numerous others including Dustin Rhodes and JR is asked directly how Flair escaped repercussions. And the only answer that he can muster is that Flair was a made man. And that just speaks to the culture of this company. And it and it's from the top down. Vince McMahon's on that plane. And he ultimately, and no excuse in Flair or Dream or any of the other pricks on this flight who did heinous things and ruined lives the culture is tolerated and perpetuated from the top down by the man who's present on that plane and to what lazy or, or, or what scared or whatever it is to, to try and get involved and calm things down and uh, washed his hands of a situation and allowed it to develop and get to this stage, which was just, truly horrific and I think ultimately the buck does stop with Vince McMahon who continued to book and use these people excuse the behaviour as you said make stupid little cartoons highlighting oh Ric Flair gets his cock out and that's funny because it's Rick no it's not funny it's fucking sexual assault and I have a real hard time weighing up my wrestling fandom with being supportive of wwe i think now i think morally it's it changed my perspective on the business 
I think quite significantly as and, and I had always been someone who just I don't know I was a wrestling fan as a little boy before I knew about any of these evils in the world you know and it's it just makes you rethink why do I fucking bother putting so much time energy money emotional investment emotional labor into an industry filled with people like this yep um and the thing is their questionable moral decisions only get worse because i've i've said on a few things before like other stuff that i've done the only reason i have the network is for this show because as soon as they signed that fucking blood money deal I would have been out unless it was a fact that I needed to have it for this. Yeah. As soon as 20 years ago is done, or I am out of 20 years ago, I will bin off my fucking network subscription because dirty and blood money. Or, you know, it might, might, you know, come back if someone else takes over and there's some fucking keep clean around. But yeah, whilst Vince is taking dirty blood money, it just shows that he's still as fucking corrupt, careless, and gives zero fucks about people or anything. All he gives a fuck about is his bank balance. And you see it every couple of months when they can release hundreds of fucking wrestlers a year just to make the bank balance look better. It's still scum, even to this day. Record profits during a pandemic with record amounts of releases absolutely no justification for any of that and sometimes i always love professional wrestling but wwe and vince mcmahon make it fucking hard to care about that company which is obviously you said about the the whale show um the boy asked about it he was like oh they're doing a big show in the whales that like, we're not going i made the excuse <laughs> for that I, ma- I made the excuse being that you know it's it, from orange to wales is a fucking ball eight and you know getting hotels and shit and I went oh if it was at London then I'd have thought about it no because I don't want to give them any more fucking money it's very uh noble moral of you and I mean tickets I think are out later this week and we'll see how that goes I'm not 100% sure about going I I, I sort of thought to day to day but doing a show like this and talking these things through with you i mean it's it's kind of cathartic to be able to rant about it but it doesn't it does leave a bit of taste in terms of wrestling fandom because the industry is is built on on this culture you know and and it's it's dark i mean it's it's hard to contest with and i mean i've loved doing this this project and and I will continue to love doing this this podcast and chatting every month with with you boys and all the other contributors and looking at good wrestling and bad wrestling. But when when real life things like disc- what I discussed and delved into on this Dark Side of the Ring episode take over, it, it's not fun. You know, it's it's hard work. It's emotionally taxing. It's it's and it's ethically sort of questionable like these are the things that i choose to invest my my time and energy and and passion into and 
at the end of the day, what what do we get out of it in these dark moments? And it is hard, and and even in time machine mode, it doesn't get any easier, like you say, for for a long while. So, uh, I mean, it's quite a, a downbeat note to end a podcast on, but I mean, there's no other there's no other mood to end it on when this is the subject matter we're covering. I, if you haven't seen the episode of Dark Side of the Ring, I mean, the whole show is really worth a watch. Each episode, like regardless of subject matter, I think you can get something out of. There's obviously like a very varying uh, levels of interest in, and in quality, I would say, uh, week to week. But do go out of your way to watch this uh, Plane Ride from Hell episode because there's a lot more detail in it than what me and Lacey have covered here. And um, I think it's important. It's important for people to to look at the, the dark side of the ring as it were and uh it's, you, it, it's the thing with the dark side of the rings um my missus will watch them all because she likes that sort of seedy crimey stuff that, um so i got really on season one with the uh, mob stuff with dino bravo and things like that and you know she doesn't like wrestling she's never liked wrestling she couldn't give a fuck but she knows of people through through watching these so you know is it's tv for even the non-wrestling fans um i know in the states um vice has their own channel and i think they're on pretty much quite regularly over there um in the uk they're now all on uh all four because mm-hmm. uh, the season three have just gone up um so yes yeah, so they're all easily available now all all three seasons are on uh all four um it is it is must watch TV for any wrestling fan just to get that perspective and ground you with what these people are actually like and the whole you know don't worship these sort of people yeah because yeah some of them are fucking just disgusting and you know, some of them are just grade A cunts, Mr. Dreamer. And on that note, Lacey, thank you very much for joining me uh, in the time machine to Insurrection and and in the present day, Dark Side of the Ring. It's, uh, I mean, I'd, I'd say it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to talk to you, but I guess on on occasions like this, the subject matter less so. Uh, you know, you know, it was always going to be fun when I told you that I was coming on this one more for the second part of this show more than the first part but i was like if i get to talk about the second part i'll watch the shit pay-per-view <laughs> yeah i mean it was definitely worth it i think uh, a lot of interesting points raised and uh it'd be interesting to hear the feedback of like talking about these sort of incidents out of timeline mode isn't the norm for for this show so um yeah, I mean, let us know your thoughts and, and that sort of thing. But um, say the, the only ones that we've done out of timeline mode for these sort of things was the Owen uh, show yeah. and Mass Transit. Yeah. So, you know, these are both massive things. And if we get to Benoit, which I don't know if we're going to be still going at that point, again, that one, that would definitely have to be dealt with out of time machine because that's that sort of thing of you can't put a filter on that you have to go in with that and sort of not be kept to 
not speaking about shit that comes after the fact. Um, same with with this, because um, as I said, if we'd have done this in time machine mode, we'd have been, oh, Scott Hall got fired after the show. Yeah, Scott Hall got drunk on a plane and got fired would have been basically the the level of detail you, you get, really. Um, so it was, it was a necessary detour into the future, but um, Eric and uh, a few more will be back uh, later in the month to bring you your proper May show and uh, sort of correct the course and, and, and keep things trucking along in time machine mode. Our first WWE show. Yes, first WWE pay-per-view. Um, so, yeah, significant show. And, I mean, all of that name change, the, the continuation of the brand split, we've got loads more uh, to come just in May alone, you know. Uh, so it's a certainly a fucking one of the most newsworthy months. So I feel like we say that a lot with everything that's gone on <laughs> the last couple of years. But... Um, yeah, May 2002, between the plane ride, the name change, and those sorts of things. Jesus Christ, that was a busy month for professional wrestling. And the bravest challenge. Of course, yes. Oh, God, don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> and with that note, uh, I have been the host for this episode, Chris White. He has been Chris Lacey. Thank you very much for listening, and until next time... Goodbye. Tommy Dreamer is a cunt. Tommy Dreamer is a cunt.